I do not understand this football name in America. How how many of kicks is there in the football game? Six kicks? I'm going to say it once and hopefully I'm wrong, but it's a disaster waiting to happen. I love all of those things with the piggy skin and the men running around. So much screams and then a toss and then everyone is in a large, large hill. A star is born in the NFL. I like the mochi, but I, more importantly, I like the poise and the noise. Oh, what are you doing? You gotta be paping me. It's Jonathan Elway. He was so sassy and cool. And hey, guys, I'm a cowboy. Bang, bang, sling, sling, toss, toss. I'm going to lose all the time. And then I win. And then he leaves as he wins. You cannot beat this. From Munich, Germany, the Broncos and Bratwurst podcast with Kevin Gilligan. Yes, I'm Kevin Gilligan, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, lifelong Broncos fan. I recently moved to Munich, Germany, but as they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder, and so I still love them and love talking about them, even though it's from across the pond. What's up, Broncos fans? Yes, it's me, back for another Broncos and Bratwurst podcast. Um... You know, what is there to talk about this week? It's one of those times of year where football is kind of in the back of back burner. You know, baseball is just starting up. They're starting to play spring, spring training games. You've got basketball is really starting to heat up into the important part of the season. And the Nuggets are freaking awesome, by the way. So go check them out. Go watch their games. I can't go to their games. So please go to their games for me. They look like an absolute freaking blast. And the team is is awesome. I just love it. I love the team. I think they're my favorite Nuggets team of all time. There were, I'd say the Chauncey Billups, Carmelo Anthony team was, was really good. I really liked them and the Thuggets. Um, but this Nuggets team is something special and they're going to be something special for a long, long time. So let's enjoy that. And it, it's, it, we've talked about this before, how the, the Colorado sports scene is, it looks really good. I mean, the, the avalanche, I guess are, they're not great. They're okay. But the Rockies are, Absolutely playoff contenders. They have a very good young pitching staff. They have a decent offense. They've got to kind of fix up. Hopefully they re-sign Arenado here soon. And, of course, the Nuggets are the second-place team in the Western Conference. A very, very, very good Western Conference. So it all kind of comes down then to, of course, the, the Denver Broncos, who have been, you know, for their standards, an embarrassment over the last few years. And and it comes to the question of, yeah, what what's, what's next? What's the next step for the Broncos? And, of course, now that we're right at the beginning of the offseason – it's all conjecture. I mean, it's it's really truly all a guess. And obviously, I don't need to just you know tell you that everyone knows that we see these. I mean, that's why they call them mock drafts. I mean, right? Mock. I mean, they're, they're they they are practically a mockery of the draft. And and it's there are so many different mock drafts out there. I, I saw a an article just now on Mile High Report put out by uh, Tim Lynch, uh, just about really all the different. Um, mock drafts where that where people have you know who the the mocks have the Broncos picking, and it's totally random. I mean, it's it almost. I mean, th- th- I think there are about maybe fifteen uh, mocks on here, and almost every single one has a different player. I mean, you see a couple Drew Locks, uh, I think a couple for Byron Murphy, the cornerback out of Washington. But you just see really everything. You see an offensive lineman. You see a defensive lineman. You see several different cornerbacks. Um, you see, I believe there are a couple um, defensive tackles as well. Uh, Kyler Murray is also in one of them. Um, I think that was from Fanspeak. Had them picking Kyler Murray at 10. I just recently saw on CBS Sports 
that the most recent mock draft has them moving up and trading with Tampa Bay to move up to, I believe, number six, the number six spot and draft Haskins because they believe that Kyler Murray will go first. Uh, I think they said that they thought Jacksonville would trade up um, with the Jets, I believe, and that the Jacksonville would would draft Murray and that would leave Haskins for the Broncos. I mean, it, it's a total crapshoot and it's it's an interesting time of year because it is it's total speculation and it's the same thing with the whole Joe Flacco move. That I mean, it's still mostly speculation. I mean, we know that they traded for Joe Flacco, we know his salary, etc., but we don't really know what else is going to happen next. I mean, as I talked about last week, it all for me hinges on what they can do with Keenum. If they can get completely rid of Keenum's contract then cool I mean this is an upgrade and and I get going after you know a guy who who the coach is familiar with and and who's won before it makes sense and I want to go I want to go on that topic real fast and that's something I want to vindicate myself when I when I went out oh I don't know maybe a month or or even two ago I I talked about Colin Kaepernick being a possible solution and that was right after they hired Vic Fangio as the head coach and, you know, I got ridiculed, and, and obviously it's a very hot topic, and I understand that. But my whole point, if you if you go back and read the article, is that Fangio was probably going to want to bring in a quarterback that he was familiar with. And the two guys who I said he was familiar with, who he's coached up in this league, or has been on a... He hasn't coached, I guess he's a defensive coach, but he's been on the team with these guys... And that was Kaepernick and Flacco. Now, I believe that if Kaepernick hadn't totally screwed things over with John Elway and, and, and actually, you know, not refused to come, you know, into training camp with the Broncos and, and poo-pooed Elway's offer, then I think he, he definitely could have been an option. Now, Kaepernick is never, ever, ever going to be brought in by the Broncos because Elway already gave him that chance and he turned it down. So, I, I want to just, you know, pat myself on the back for that one, that I think that was an absolutely correct assessment that Fangio is going to bring in a guy who he knew, who he had seen, who he had witnessed, you know, have some success. And, you know, the only other guy besides those two is obviously Trubisky, who, I mean, he's not going anywhere. So it's an interesting thing. And, and, you, and I think we're going to see that in the offseason as well, that it really does seem that John Elway is putting a lot of control into Vic Fangio's hands. And that being the case, I think we need to start looking at the draft more from Fangio's perspective than from Elway's perspective. And that's obviously a little harder to do because Vic Fangio has never been a head coach. He's never drafted. But obviously in his defense, we can start to say, okay, who who does he like? You know, what's the key player in, in a Vic Fangio defense? And, and, it seems, and in, in, in everything that you know, I read and watch, it seems that the inside linebacker who can who can cover from sideline to sideline and also blitz in his in Fangio's blitz packages, that seems like an obvious selection. So I think White would be an obvious selection at uh, inside linebacker um, at number ten in this year's draft. But there's also a fairly typical trend that defensive head coaches pick offense and offensive head coaches pick defense early in the draft and that's often because they they want to fix the side of the ball that they are not you know working on they're not expert with they they believe Vic Fangio probably believes he can pick up you know a fourth fifth round pick bring in a free agent and make them work in his defense now 
I don't know if that's what they're going to do, but it makes sense. So it would actually make sense if he, Vic Fangio, goes in and says, okay, let's fix up, fix up the offense. Let's bring in the best talented players on offense, and I will work my magic on the defense. Excuse me. And if that's the case, then it's likely maybe that they'll they'll go and draft a quarterback or, or, or an offensive lineman, et cetera. And we're going to have later on, we're going to have a segment by Skipper Dude. And he, he brings up a really good point that um, that the Flacco deal is is it's a he he argues that it's not really a band aid but it's more of an opportunity for the Broncos to not have to panic at the quarterback position in 2019 and that's a really good point. I don't love the Flacco deal. I don't love Joe Flacco. I mean, as I said last week, he was really the guy that. All Broncos fans really, really didn't want to see, but it, it, it makes sense, especially if you get rid of Keenum's contract. You bring in a guy who's just who costs just as much money as Keenum, but he has there's no danger with his contract. There's no guaranteed money, so you can just cut him and you're good, and that's awesome. So it means that the Broncos either can you know draft a guy in 2019 and play Flacco for one year. They can draft a guy in 2020, play Flacco for two years. And no matter what, no matter when, they can cut him and, and not have to deal with his money. And that's a smart deal. So I don't love the fact that they're going to be probably paying $25 million for an okay quarterback. But his the flexibility of his contract is, is really sweet, and it, it really makes sense. And especially if Fangio is comfortable with him, if Scangarello thinks that he's going to be the best fit for his offense, then okay, you know, I'm cool with that. I don't love, again, I don't love the $25 million for Joe Flacco. I think that's that's kind of a hard bit to swallow. But as we talk about week after week after week is the contention window. And I don't think any of us really believe that, that 2019 is an open window for the Broncos. It's much more likely that it is a time for them to to rebuild, you know, regroup, Build an offense, you know, you know, rebuild an offensive line with um, Mike Munchak and a defense with Vic Fangio, and that that should really bring us some hope. Now, maybe not hope for the 2019 season, but but how often do teams, you know, win year after year after year? And the Broncos have been pretty good about that, and they need to get back to being there they need to get there again where they're they're always relevant where they're always in the playoffs but to do that you have to have consistency in the coaching position and you have to have a very good quarterback as as we talked about several months ago you either need a young quarterback on a cheap contract who's going to get enough he can do enough to get it done this is like Jared Goff this is Russell Wilson several years ago guys that you can build around and not spend much money on and you can really fix up the rest of the team and put a lot of talent around them or you need to bring in a Hall of Fame quarterback now Joe Flacco is obviously neither of those that's why I really hated the trade at first but when you start looking at it it's pretty much the same as Keenum just with more flexibility so that's okay so what they need to do obviously is they need to find the guy of the future now if they think that's Drew Locke if they think that's Dwayne Haskins if they think that's Kyler Murray then they need to go do it and they need to do whatever it takes to do it if they need to trade up to number one then they should do it because as we see over and over and over again you cannot win in this league without a quarterback it just doesn't happen I mean Case Keenum had decent talent around him and he's just not good enough I mean he needs great talent around him and this team doesn't have great talent and they don't have time to build great talent unless you want to wait two or three years and Broncos fans are not going to deal with that that's a problem in the city is that they they're 
the coaches and, and quarterbacks are not given enough time to succeed because the fan base cannot handle losing. I'm not saying that's bad, but it's just the, the sheer truth of it. And so if they're not given enough time to develop, again, like I said last week with, with the, the Denver Nuggets, they gave Michael Malone time to develop his scheme. They gave him time to make the team realize what his vision is, his vision on offense and defense. And you know what? It sucked for a year or two. And then slowly it got better. Slowly they started to almost make the playoffs. They were one game out of the playoffs two years straight. And then in one offseason, boom. And here they are, the second team, second place team in the West and ahead by three games. And, and they look like they're definitely going to make some noise in the playoffs unless there's some big injury. And that's what the Denver Broncos must do. They must. They, they have to have some patience. And that includes us. It includes us. We have to say, okay, Vic Fangio is our guy. We have to believe in him. We have to believe in Elway for the next three years. What, or, or else what? Eventually, Elway, the front office, everyone has to place some trust in their own decisions. That's part of been Elway's problem is that, you know, yeah, Paxton Lynch wasn't good. Vance Joseph wasn't good. But when you immediately regret your decisions and see they are bad decisions, it almost makes it worse. Now, I mean, ah, it's hard to say. I mean, I'm not saying you should just run with these guys because they suck. But, I mean, ah, you have to eventually say, okay, we're going to draft Haskins. We're going to draft Locke. And we're just going to let them play. We're going to let them suck. And... If they suck for three years, then I'm done. My my job is done. I'm I'm moving on to some other greener pasture, and I'm going to live and die by this quarterback. And Elway hasn't done it. And part of it is because he's made terrible decisions. But eventually, even if it's a terrible decision, even if you draft Drew Locke and Drew Locke turns out to be an airhead like Paxton Lynch, you've got to give him a chance. Because if you don't give him a chance, then you'll never know. And you'll continually put Band-Aids on a situation and your team will will meander on in whelmingness for the next 10 years. And that's the where, that's, that's where this team is headed right now. And so I like that Elway went, he went, Away from what everyone expected, he didn't draft a young or draft. Excuse me, he didn't bring in a young, you know, sexy head coach. He brought in an old, grizzly veteran guy, a guy who's different, a guy who has a mind of his own, a guy who has a years and years and years of experience in the league. And Elway didn't have to do that. That was not the easiest way for Elway. Elway, I mean, he went with Vance Joseph partly because his friends told him to, and partly because you know Joseph was probably going to do what Elway said. And Elway said, "Okay, you know what? Maybe that's not the best way." And I appreciate that with Elway. He ate crow, and he had to. He should have, of course. So I hope now that Elway is going to give him a chance and say, "Okay, you know, if we're bad in 2019, if we're bad in 2020, we're going to deal with it, suck it up, and and hope that the third year." We'll see success. Because if you don't give a coach or, or a quarterback or a young quarterback, whoever they bring in, at least a few years, then what's the point? You'll continually rebuild. You'll continually bring in a new scheme, a new ideology, a new leadership. And that is terrible for a locker room. And we've seen it here. We've seen it. I mean, you know, and, and I guess here not as much as, I don't know, say maybe Tampa Bay or or or, or these other these other um, teams that just continually bring in new offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and even head coaches, even quarterbacks. It's bad for the team. It's bad for the culture. John Elway must have faith, and we must have faith 
Because otherwise, we will just rebuild again and again and again and again. And that's the last thing we should want as fans. Even if it's not a good product in 2019, even if it's not in 2020, we have to realize that they need to bring in a a young quarterback and they're going to have to deal with the lumps and suffer with him for a little bit. And finally, hopefully, in three, maybe four years, the Broncos will find again their former glory. Up next, Skipper Dude, and he's going to talk about what he thinks of the Joe Flacco trade to the Denver Broncos after this. Thanks, as always, for having me on, Kevin. I am the Skipper Dude, proud Broncos fan since 1984. So today I wanted to take a stab at analyzing the Joe Flacco trade and try to put a spin or two on it that maybe you haven't considered already. I know I'm a little late to the party, but, but this was such an emotional move by John Elway that I really thought it was prudent to let the initial fervor and emotion die down a bit before I dug in and, and analyzed it. Now, the bottom line for me, Kevin, is I actually kind of like this trade. I don't love it, but I do like it. If I had to rate the trade on a scale of 10 to negative 10, with zero being perfectly ambivalent, 10 being you know the John Elway for Chris Hinton and Mark Herman trade in 1983, and negative 10 being Josh McDaniels trading away the, his 2010 first-round pick for a second-round pick, Alfonso Smith, in 2009, I get the impression that the initial reaction in Broncos country to this Flacco trade was about a negative five. And as the motions have subsided, I think it's moderated a bit to a, a negative two or a negative three. People still aren't that crazy about it. But personally, I put the trade at about a positive two. And so before I get into what the Broncos gain and what they give up from the deal, that really kind of seals you know, my, my belief in, in, in rating it, I'd like to talk about the trade strategically first. Now, I've heard analysts, and this includes you, Kevin, that that criticizing John Elway and Vic Fangio for making the bold statement right after Fangio was hired that the Broncos would not slap any Band-Aids on the Broncos' problem. And then, of course, the very first personnel move they make is to slap a Band-Aid on the quarterback position. I, I understand that sentiment. But honestly, guys... I don't see the Flacco move as a Band-Aid. The the way I see the Elway-Fangio path back to the Super Bowl, 2019 was always going to be a rebuilding year where Fangio gets his system and his personnel in place. He builds on the great 2018 draft, and he gets the locker room moving in the right direction. The playoffs are a realistic goal for 2019, but making noise in the playoffs and, and, and competing for a Super Bowl, really aren't realistic. Short, short of maybe a fluky lightning in a bottle type of a playoff run like, like Joe Flacco had in, in Baltimore in 2012. If nothing else, this Broncos team is really nowhere near catching the Chiefs in, in 2019, at least realistically, unless something happens to Patrick Mahomes. At quarterback, the plan was always to bring in a young quarterback in either 2019 or in, in 2019, you're, you're starting from the, the, the number 10 draft position, but you got a weak quarterback class. Or you're going to pick a young quarterback in 2020 when you may very well be drafting in the teens or early 20s, but you'll have a deeper quarterback class. The plan really hasn't changed with the Flacco trade. So I'm not really seeing the Flacco trade as a Band-Aid. 
if you if the Broncos had brought in a third tier, second, third tier quarterback in the prime of his career, now that would have been a band-aid. Teddy Bridgewater would have been a band-aid. He represented an entire change of direction at quarterback. Same with Nick Foles. These are guys that you would have needed to commit five years to and basically put on the shelf the idea of bringing in a young quarterback. Instead, what you're dealing with now is the final remnants of, of Joe Flacco's career. And, and what's, brain, what's changed by bringing in Flacco is the urgency for getting a quarterback in 2019. You know, obviously, Team Elway is not going to tip its hand. On where it stands with, with Drew Locke or, or, or Kyler Murray or, or even Dwayne Haskins. But, but I don't think you're going to trade up to, to get a guy like a Dwayne Haskins. And, and, and Drew Locke, I, I think for most of us, just doesn't strike us. I know he doesn't strike me as a franchise-type, high-first-round type draft pick. It, it Maybe if you can trade down you know, to the end of the first round, and, and maybe Drew Locke falls to about 25, draft position, then yeah, he's a great pickup, but, but not at 10. There's just too much risk there and not enough not enough upside to, to justify a high first-round draft pick. And, of course, Murray is intriguing to be sure, but, but let's be real here. Who really believes that John Albert Elway Jr. is going to draft a 5-foot, 10-inch quarterback? I just don't see it. So now, imagine that Elway hadn't made the Flacco trade, and he decides to pass on this quarterback class. A very reasonable thing for him to do. Keenum is going to be gone at the end of this year. He's kind of your ultimate dumpster dive type quarterback who will probably find a dumpster diving team in need of a dumpster diving starter for 2020. Maybe a team like Pittsburgh if, if Big Ben retires and, and there's no heir apparent or... or or New Orleans with, with um, same thing with Drew Brees. But he'll find somewhere um, that he can probably start in, in the year 2020. With Keenum, then, if you decide to pass on a quarterback in 2019 and Keenum doesn't come back in 2020, which he probably wouldn't, knowing that he's not your quarterback of the future, then you go into the 2020 season with literally nothing at quarterback. Nobody, nothing. I mean, Kevin Hogan, if, if even that. So with Flacco, and more importantly, with his fully non-guaranteed contract, you now have a one or a two or a three-year bridge with which to get your new franchise quarterback established rather than a one-year bridge with Keenum that was forcing you to have a young quarterback starting by 2020. It gives you a ton of flexibility in that regard. And in and, and this way, I really like this trade. So now, as you know, my number one reason for liking this trade, let's go through all of the positives and negatives and kind of see how they balance out. On the positive side, of course, that three-year flexibility with Flacco is golden. As soon as you're done with them, you cut them. He probably retires, you're done. And, and that's huge. And you, you can get either one, two, or three years out of it, depends on what, depending on what you need to groom a new quarterback. Now, number two in, in positives, you've improved your on-field product, at least marginally. Flacco probably doesn't have much left in the tank, but it's hard to imagine him being worse than Case Keenum. Man, I mean, I mean, I mean Keenum put up some bottom-of-the-NFL numbers last year despite having a fairly decent offensive line, at least until he got injured, and, and some pretty dramatic and dynamic skill players at running back and wide receiver. 
Part of that, I believe, falls on the utterly unimaginative and basically incompetent Bill Musgrave. But Keenum deserves plenty of the blame as well because, I mean, anybody who watched him on the field could see he couldn't get it done last year. Now, Flacco, even at the tail end of his career, would be hard-pressed to be worse than Keenum was last year. So probably number two, you've increased maybe not a ton, but you've increased your on-field product. Now, number three of the positives, you brought in a quarterback who has been there, who has won a Super Bowl. Kevin had a fantastic piece last week about the impact that Isaiah Thomas has had with the Denver Nuggets this year, despite not even having played a game all year up to that point. Having a Super Bowl winning quarterback in the locker room is going to have an impact for the Broncos. It may not be huge. I mean, Joe Flacco will probably go down in history as a Super Bowl winning quarterback, kind of in a class with Doug Smith or, or, or Trent Dilfer or, or Nick Foles. But his impact is still going to be a positive. So the Broncos have gained flexibility. They've gained a, a certain amount of talent. And they've gained Super Bowl experience with the Flacco trade. But what have they given up? Well, number one, of course, they've likely added $7 million in payroll for 2019 in the form of guaranteed Case Keenum money that Elway's probably going to have to eat. Now, I know when the Flacco trade was first announced, I was chatting with Kevin and, and said that Elway has to have a deal in place for Keenum already because there's absolutely no way... He's stupid enough to head into the season with both of those contracts on the books. And once the Flacco trade leaked into the media, Elway's leverage for trading Keenum dropped to zero. So a deal for Keenum had to be in place. There was no way Elway was going to allow this Flacco trade to be leaked into the media if he didn't have something in place for Keenum. Okay, so it appears I was wrong. At this point, I, I think... We need to figure on probably eating the guaranteed portion of Keenum's contract. I'm guessing Elway probably cuts Keenum as soon as it's practical, and Case will pick it up somewhere as a backup quarterback or on a backup quarterback contract. Maybe he'll, you know, he'll get that dumpster dive team that, that will be willing to give him at least a shot at starting. I just don't see him getting you know, much of another shot as a starter at a training camp at this point. He's probably a guy who makes sense for a team whose starter gets injured in training camp, but not much more than that. You have to think of him as maybe the 30th to 35th best quarterback in the NFL. Maybe he picks up somewhere, but you know maybe he doesn't. And number two, of course, is the in, in costs for the Broncos is the fourth-round draft pick. Now, it sounds like a lot, I know, fourth-rounder, but I took a look back at the number four draft picks for the Broncos in the John Elway area, and it's really pretty underwhelming. Now, this past year, the, the Gary Kubiak, John Elway, Vance Joseph triumvirate did, did a solid job with, with the fourth round, getting Josie Jewell and Deshaun Hamilton in the fourth round. And that was pretty decent. But, but before that, the fourth round talent is really pretty lean. Okay, so let's go back, back to 2011. In 2017, the, the Broncos had no pick in the fourth round, but they took Brendan Langley and Carlos Henderson in the third round and Jake Butt in the fifth. Okay, pretty well a fail. 2016 was Devontae Booker. Okay, yeah, pretty underwhelming. 2015, Max Garcia. Whelming, you know, kind of a marginal role type player. 2014, they had no fifth, fourth round pick. They picked Michael Schofield in the third round and Lehman Barrow in the fifth. Fail. Okay, 2013, no fourth-round pick again in 2013. Kayvon Webster in the third round, and they took Quintera Smith 
in the fifth. And now it was not terrible. Webster was a huge reach, if you remember, but he really had a pretty solid Broncos career. It's not not a bad third round pick. 2012, um, Omar Bolden and Philip Blake they took in the fourth round. Philip Blake was a training camp cut, and Bolden had several decent you know seasons as a role player, so not not horrible. And then 2007, they, at 2011, they had two fourth round picks: Quinton Carter and Julius Thomas, and then that was that was pretty solid. Ju- Julius Thomas was probably in the Elway era the the one impact fourth rounder that um, he, he's ever chosen. So. You can see that the fourth-round pick is not typically going to get you an impact type of a player. At worst, you've probably given up a decent role player by by trading that fourth-round pick, maybe a Josie Jewell type of a guy. So now, let's boil this trade down and look at the gains and losses altogether. By trading Joe Flacco, or for Joe Flacco, you've gained flexibility in transitioning to your young quarterback of the future. You've upgraded... Your on-field talent, albeit marginally, and you've added Super Bowl experience, whatever you know value that may turn out to be. You've given up, in all likelihood, $7 million in Case Keenum's salary and a fourth-round pick that at best is probably going to just be a role player for you down the road. So, so when you put it all in that perspective, Kevin, I really like this trade. I think it's good value for your money. Like I said, I like it about a 2 out of 10. I don't love it. Um, if the Broncos as a team had nine and seven talent again going into the Flacco trade, I'd say they still have pretty much nine and seven talent. Flacco, after all, he's at the end of his career and was never exactly Peyton Manning. He may win a game or two by himself for you in two, 2019. He's a guy that you'd love to have during a playoff road game, obviously, but he may very well have one of his patented five interception games as well this year. Flacco is not a guy that moves the needle much, but but he is probably an upgrade. So if Elway is able to unload Case Keenum's salary, which I'm doubting, but but then I I would like I would move my um, like of this move up to about a three out of ten, and perhaps perhaps working again in the Mike Shanahan Gary Kubiak offense with with Rich Rich Gangrello, perhaps Flacco has a bit of a career renaissance in Denver. You know, a little bit like Peyton Manning did here. And we can push that like number up to a 4 out of 10. So all in all, not bad. I kind of like it. Kevin, back to you. As always, thank you to the Skipper Dude for giving us some awesome content. I don't always agree with his assessments on Flacco, especially this time around. But I don't hate it. I think he likes it a little more than I do. I think I put it maybe in his scale from negative 10 to plus 10. I give it maybe a negative 2. Um, I'm, I'm, it depends on what happens. I understand the move. I I get it. And I think that if they continue to build around that move, then I can come to like it. I can come to say, okay, I'm okay with this because again, 2019 is not an open window for contention, which means they needed someone for a stopgap and, and Flacco makes more sense than Keenum. I don't love the 25 million for a quarterback, but he makes more sense. So that said, yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's the whole off season. You know, it's hot and cold because they they make one move you like, they make another move you don't like. I like their coaching additions. I like Fangio. I like Scangarello. Even we don't know much about them as coaches, except for as you know coordinators. So we'll see. It's hard to say. It's all conjecture. It's all conjecture. I mean, look look at the draft. As I was saying before, 
I mean, this the draft, the mock drafts are so random. I mean, I mean, you just you don't know what's going to happen. It's it's hard to even talk about. It's funny. I mean, as I said, Tim Lynch has a has a really nice piece that kind of mushes them all together on Mile High Report and says, okay, these are the these are the mock drafts that have come out so far. And like I said, there's probably 15, and there's got to be 10 or 11 different picks for the Denver Broncos. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, who knows? They could trade. They could trade up in the draft. They could trade down in the draft. And I think both. Could make sense, and it, it all depends on if they find the guy that they think is their quarterback, and that—that's the whole point. The whole point. If they don't think that Locke or Haskins or Murray are the guy, then they'll probably trade trade back in the draft and and add draft capital because the team has plenty of holes that need fixed. They need offensive linemen. They need cornerbacks. They need you know defensive linemen and and, and linebackers. And so there's plenty of needs, and we'll see. I mean, it's it's at least. At least the Broncos offseason has been, I'd say, an overall, it's been a positive. I like the coaching you know, additions, and I generally like what they've done. That the, the ownership has mostly stayed out of out of the public eye. I mean, the ownership that that, that whole issue has been an embarrassment mostly. Um, and they've they've gone quiet, at least fairly quiet. Um, obviously, it's been a good offseason in in terms of of the Hall of Fame. I mean, Pat Bowen, Champ Bailey being inducted. That's a big year for this team. Pat Bowen, who's long deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, is finally in. And that that's that. So no matter what, I think 2019 will be an overall plus year. And the good thing is when you bring in a new coach, you don't have the expectations you have in the second or third year of that said coach. I mean, Vance Joseph, even though his first year wasn't very good, you still had the hope, okay, maybe things will get better. Okay, I had the hope. Not not many people had the hope, but I at least did that that he could turn things around, and of course he didn't. But Fangio is going to have at least a year where people are going to give him a little bit of a break. But not long, because Broncos fans are, are sick of losing. They're sick of losing. Two straight losing seasons since, you know, first time since the 70s. It, it's not it's not going to stand up anymore and so they're going to have to find some way to win and they think I at least it seems that Joe Flacco is the way to do that now you know what what are the other stuff in the NFL news right now the really the only other headline is of course the Robert Kraft's prostitution issue and I don't think that's something we want to dwell on too much but it, it is an interesting interesting thing to look at because just the, the Patriots, you know, it, they're such an interesting team. They're they're so good. They win so much. They're hated so much. They're loved so much that they're really this extreme. And there, how has there ever been a team that has had more off the field drama and and, and issues and embarrassments than the Patriots? And we kind of brush over it. We kind of forget about it. All of these things that happened. I mean, the you know Julian Edelman, he, he was he was banned four games for for PED use, and then he won the Super Bowl MVP. It's bizarre, bizarre. I mean, you know, Hoodie has been caught cheating. Tom Brady has been caught cheating. Now Robert Kraft has been caught. <laughs> I don't know cheating, but but and we shouldn't laugh about it. That's the hard thing, and I think it's been talked about ad, ad nauseum for for the last you know several days. But it's a it's a it's a gross deal. I mean, it's weird. I mean, and, and it's a it's an issue with the the billionaires. It seems in the U.S. Not all of them, of course, of course. But it seems the richer you get, the more gross you get, the more sinful we would say. 
It just opens up all these areas of, of weirdness and grossness. And I mean, come on, $50 prostitution, you know, prostitutes for a billionaire. Come on. Don't tell me this guy didn't know what was going on in there. Don't tell me there's no way. Come on. Weird, 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 weird. And it really made me think it's like, okay, you know, we don't really want to talk about Robert Kraft. We don't really want to talk about the Broncos ownership issues. What, what is a good topic for the week before the combine when nothing's happening. And it made me reach out and ask some of my cir- inner circle of Broncos friends about what the Broncos fans would name Mile High Stadium. Of course, Joe Ellis and Broncos ownership have pretty much failed in getting a sponsor and getting a, a naming sponsor, at least, of the Broncos Stadium. Right now, I think it's I think it's I think it's Mile High Stadium, and of course, it was you know it's been Sports Authority Field um, and others, but but for the last I think five or six years, they've had no sponsor, which is a pretty big deal. That you're losing millions and millions and millions of dollars without a sponsor. So anyway, I, I decided to reach out and, and ask them if it was a fan vote, what would you call? What would we call? the stadium of our Denver Broncos. And this is, in my opinion, as important a discussion as any others for the offseason, right? Of course it is. What would you call it? What would you call the stadium? If we could name it, if, if, if Joe Ellis and the Broncos ownership came to you right now and said, okay, Joe Schmo, what should we name the stadium? What's it going to be? And I know a lot of fans are going to say Mile High Stadium. And that's totally fair. I totally understand that. But I want, to, I want to give a few of the names that my friends came up with, my inner circle. And some of them are pretty good. The, the, the first one, I, after I asked, you know, what, 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 what the fans should name the stadium, the first response was, Orange Crush Stadium. And and this is from, from Dom. He says, the Orange Crush Stadium sponsored by Pepsi. <laughs> it's a good first response. I, I think I think after that one he kind of scared away a bunch of the other the other group, you know, that they didn't really want to respond. Because that was a great response. The Orange Crush Stadium sponsored by Pepsi. So Pepsi needs to come in and sponsor the stadium and call it the Orange Crush Stadium at Mile High. And that would be pretty dope. That would be pretty dope. I, I mean, there are a few names that would that would you know I think fit the stadium better than the Orange Crush at Mile High. That's that. That was immediately almost a winner, but but there were still some good ones to come. Okay, so that's the first one, Orange Crush Stadium at Mile High. Next, <laughs> this comes from Eric Caveman, uh, the Ganja Bowl at Mile High. <laughs> Oh man! See, of course, Denver has become known as the you know one of the weed capitals of the world. I think a little less now than it was a few years ago. But but I I when I first moved to Germany, I was asked over and over, like, oh, you know, when I told them I was from Denver, they're like, oh, Denver, nice. You got some weed? I'm like, no, I don't have weed. You think I flew to Germany with weed in my backpack? No, that that's not how that works. But yeah, that was uh, definitely 
A, a, a good one. I, I like the ganja bowl. I, I don't think that's probably likely going to happen. But some of the biggest, you know, the, you know, the the best money earners in Denver, the 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 best, you know, you know, the top companies in Colorado right now are, of course, marijuana manufacturers. So I could definitely see one of them stepping in and sponsoring the stadium. Ganja bowl at Mile High. I like it. Mary Jane Stadium, maybe. Okay, so Luke, who who has been a contributor to the show on several occasions, says Casa Bonita de Denver Broncos. <laughs> oh man, Casa Bonita, I like it. I like it, Casa Bonita. I think that that's that's definitely worthy of a uh, of a vote. And we're going to put all these, by the way, I should have said this before, we're going to put all these up on milehighreport.com and you'll have your chance to vote and add your own selections for what the Broncos should name their stadium. So, so far we have the Orange Orange Crush Stadium at Mile High, we have Ganja Bowl at Mile High, and we have Casa Bonita de Denver Broncos. <laughs> okay, next, we only have a couple more, only a couple more. Next, this one, I, I love this one. This is one, if you're from Denver, you know exactly um, the inside story of this one. And this comes from Claire. Uh, and she says, Blucifer's stable at mile high. <laughs> I mean, that, how good is that, right? Blucifer's stable. Of course, Blucifer is the, the famous or the infamous blue, evil, demonic horse that's outside of the Denver International Airport. Um Weird, weird. I mean, I could go on for a long time talking about the conspiracy theories of the Denver airport. It's pretty strange. If anyone's been there, you know what I mean. The, the, the murals, the the gargoyles, the it's bizarre. It's a strange airport, and I don't honestly know why. Ask, go look. Go YouTube the DIA conspiracy theories. I promise you will not be disappointed. Anyway, Blucifer Stable at Mile High. That is definitely, definitely worthy of a vote. I believe, I think that was... I think that was all of them. So that was the four. So those are the four I'm going to put up on milehighreport.com for the Denver fans vote for what we should name the stadium. Again, one more time, Orange Crush Stadium at Mile High. Awesome. Ganja Bowl at Mile High or something similar. Casa Bonita or Blucifer's Stable. Love it. Please go to milehighreport.com, check out my article, and vote for this all-important vote of what the Denver fans would name the stadium. Add your own selections in the comments. I would love to hear what you want. I know a lot of fans are going to want Mile High Stadium, but let's be a little, you know, let's be ingenious. Let's have a little imagination here because it's the offseason, and all we have to do is conjecture and crazy, crazy podcasts that, you know... The relevance is at least debatable. Anyway, I've enjoyed it. I will definitely enjoy seeing your responses, your comments, your votes on milehighreport.com. Please go do it. I want to make this go viral. I think this would be a fun thing. I would love to get this up on Twitter, on Facebook, and see what Denver fans actually would like to call the Denver Broncos Stadium. So please give me your best responses. I will definitely take the, the, the best one or two added to my list already. And we will put that up on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see if all of Broncos fans, all of you know the Broncos country can come together and vote for the new name of Mile High Stadium. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you next week.